0: Our new book, The Art of Business Wars, features stories and lessons from history's greatest business rivalries, with powerful insights uncovered through hundreds of episodes of Business Wars. Go to Wondery.com forward slash The Art of Business Wars to order your copy now. It's December 2003. And in Washington, D.C., the evening rush hour is gnarled up way worse than usual. Sam cut a business meeting short to get a head start in traffic, but as his car inches forward down 14th Street, his jaw clenches. Frustrated drivers lean on their horns. Tonight's forecast is snow, and everyone's anxious to get home before cars start skidding off of roads. When there's snow, D.C. drivers are hopeless. But as he turns onto Independence Avenue, Sam gasps. He can't believe what he's seeing. A giant rig is pulling a seven-story high space rocket. What the hell? DC's seen its share of showstoppers, but nothing like this. The blue and red lights of the police escort reflect off the rocket's curved silver body as it crawls down Independence Avenue. Police redirect traffic as the rig pulls up alongside its destination, the National Air and Space Museum, There's a gala underway to celebrate 100 years of flight. But Elon Musk and his rocket are about to crash the party without ever stepping foot inside. Two aerospace industry lobbyists heading into the party stop to check out the rocket. What's this? The other lobbyist squints at the words on the rocket's side SpaceX Falcon 1. Never heard of it. Me neither. A small crowd of press photographers is gathered around a podium that's been set up next to the rocket. The two lobbyists wander over and watch as a boyish-looking man in a suit and tie steps up to the microphone. My name is Elon Musk. One of the lobbyists stifles a laugh. Elon Musk? Is that a French perfume? I'm an internet millionaire and the founder of PayPal and Zip2. I could spend the rest of my life sipping Mai Tais on a beach. But instead, I decided that humanity must become a multi-planet species. The two aerospace lobbyists smirk at each other. Every so often, some super-rich businessman shows up convinced he can do space better than NASA, Boeing, and Lockheed Martin combined. And it always ends the same way with them crawling away from the burned-out wreckage of their space dream, with their egos shattered and their balance sheets cratered. The lobbyists have heard enough. I'm freezing. Let's go inside and get a drink. Good call. Musk brought this scale replica of the rocket he's building in California to D.C. to put the space community on notice. SpaceX is coming for you. But most of the party goers ignore the internet millionaire and his PR stunt. They reckon he's just another bored tycoon. But Musk is deadly serious. And he's not going away. If the space elite won't open their doors to him, he's going to kick the doors down. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business and be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies Advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit Opportunitylouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. Space exploration used to be the domain of nations. Private industry's ambitions went no further than doing government grunt work and lobbing satellites into orbit. But 20 years ago, a new breed of space enterprise emerged. Now super-rich businessmen with ambitions ripped from the pages of sci-fi novels lead the way forward. And these tycoons have turned space into a $420 billion industry. Our latest series follows their vapor trails. It's a corporate space race powered by big bucks, tech breakthroughs, and personalities with their own gravitational fields. But this is a story that's also equal parts innovation. How do you do something that's never been done before? That's why we're teaming up with one of our sister programs at Wondery. It's called American Innovations, and we'll be bringing you a special companion series about the scientists and dreamers driving this new age of space exploration. I want to welcome Stephen Johnson, the host of American Innovations, to our program. Hey there, Stephen. Hey, David. It's uh, great to be here. And now for those listeners who are new to your show, tell us
1: a little bit about what you do and why you're interested in this story. Well, American Innovations is really a show about people who solve big problems, scientists and engineers, sometimes ordinary people. But it's people who are really creating the modern world that we take for granted around us, like we take for granted that we can make a telephone call to a friend or that we don't have to worry about polio or that we can enjoy air conditioning. All of those innovations had to be conjured up by people in the past. And and they're fascinating stories. And they're often stories that involve business as well, because it's not just about inventing the new thing, but figuring out how to market it that often involves the most creativity. Yeah, these are all technologies that have completely transformed living on Earth. But you've covered space before, too, right? Well, we did a series on Skylab, um, and we also did a series about the uh, the innovations behind the special effects in Star Wars. Uh-huh. Um, so it's kind of fictional space. <laughs> but I don't know, so I don't know if that actually fits under the the umbrella of space. Hey, man, I I remember when Skylab happened, and that seemed
0: like science fiction then, right? I mean, so when Star Wars came out just a few years later, yeah, it all seemed like science fiction. But uh, anyway, yeah, this it it's interesting that back then we're in the middle of a space race. Now we're in the middle of a new one that seems to be fueled by billionaires, right?
1: Yeah. And that's one of the things that our two series really share in common is this focus on people who are dreaming about new ways to get to space and to reach new targets, you know, beyond the moon. And we're focused uh, specifically on this one incredibly complicated goal, which is getting humans to Mars. I mean, so many pieces need to be in place for this to happen. There are just so many seemingly impossible problems, like how do you transport enough fuel to get to Mars and back? How do you make reusable rockets? And how do you make sure that the astronauts have enough oxygen once they actually get to Mars? And what I love about this is that almost none of the people who solve these problems are actually working at NASA. It's actually outside the traditional space infrastructure that these solutions are coming from.
0: I think that's an important point. In fact, it's one that we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes here on Business Wars. There's Elon Musk, right? I mean, you've got to start with that guy. Uh,
1: or, or maybe there's somebody else we should bring in earlier. Well, we, in our, in our series at American Innovations, um, we're beginning with this guy from the 1980s who, who most people, I think, haven't heard about. It's this guy named Robert Zubrin. Hmm. And he basically is this, this figure who was really transformed by the moon landing in 1969. He He'd kind of experienced it as a, as a kid and just was so powerfully moved by it. And he wanted to have, as an adult, kind of his own equivalent version of that, like his own moonshot. Um, but in Zubrin's case, it's his vision of getting to Mars. And he feels like NASA is just not doing the right work to make it happen. And he's convinced that he's got a plan that can get humans onto the surface of Mars. So he's a disruptor. Well, (laughs) he tries to be. Um, it doesn't totally, I don't want to give anything away here, but it doesn't totally work out. I mean, you, you may have noticed that we haven't landed on Mars yet. Well, never say never, right? Yeah. So starting this Thursday, we're going to be telling this story in three parts, from the 80s all the way up through NASA's Perseverance rover, which will be touching down on Mars This February. Wow. And here on Business Wars, we're going to be presenting a six part series
0: on the two corporate rivals at the forefront of this Galaxy Quest SpaceX, led by PayPal founder Elon Musk, as we've been discussing, and Blue Origin from Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. I can't wait to hear the series. Thanks for having me, and I can't wait to hear yours. And you are listening to Business Wars SpaceX versus Blue Origin. This is episode one. Rocketman. It's early 2001, two years before Musk's rocket comes to D.C. In Queens, New York, Musk drives down the Long Island Expressway. It's after midnight, and looking ahead, he sees the bright lights of the Manhattan skyline beckoning. Musk's returning from a party. Next to him is his college buddy, Adeo Resi, and they're having an intense exchange about space. Musk keeps talking as they enter the Midtown Tunnel. Adeo, asteroid WT-24 is a wake-up call. Don't you see that? Ressi repositions his bright red spectacles. Sure, but it missed Earth by five times the distance to the moon. In space terms, that is super close. Many asteroids aren't noticed until after they pass by Earth. (laughs) We might not even see a killer asteroid until it's right on top of us. So, what's your point? My point is that on an evolutionary timescale, humanity's been around a tiny, tiny amount of time, really. And on that same scale, it's inevitable something bad's going to happen to us. So we've got to colonize Mars. Use it as a backup for humanity in case of some cataclysmic event. But getting to Mars is really difficult and mega expensive. But it doesn't have to be. Rocket science boils down to thrust versus gravity and air resistance. We reached the moon before we had microprocessors, GPS navigation, advanced composite materials. It should be way cheaper and easier now. Uh, true, but I imagine NASA's best people are already working on a Mars mission. For sure, they've got to be, right? But I'm going to check once we're back at the hotel. When Musk logs onto NASA's website he finds nothing. Every search comes up empty. Slowly, the realization dawns. There is no Mars mission. There is no backup plan to safeguard the human race. For Musk, that's a call to action. Ever since he got fired from PayPal last fall, he's been searching for something to do with his dot-com millions. Now, he's found it. And step one to find others who share his Martian dreams. July 2001, the outskirts of Logan, Utah. Jim Cantrell sits at the wheel of his convertible, grinning as the wind blasts his face and beard. These days, the space engineer is just happy to be free. He spent years as a bridge between the U.S. and Russian space programs, but then the Russians accused him of spying and put him under house arrest. Vice President Al Gore made some calls and got him out, but for a moment, it looked like a Siberian prison was in his future. Cantrell glances down at his car phone. He grabs the receiver. Yeah? Is this Jim Cantrell? It is, can I help you? I'm Elon Musk. There's a pause. Musk can tell Cantrell has no idea who he is, in 2001, Musk is far from a household name. I founded PayPal and sold it for tens of millions. I've decided to use my money to help humanity become a multi-planetary species. It's the 21st century. We should have moon bases by now at the very least. I want to do something to get NASA working on a mission to Mars before it's too late. Cantrell's first thought is, can this guy be for real? But he is intrigued. So he keeps listening. The thing is, I need some Russian rockets, and I heard you can help. Cantrell winces at the mention of Russia. Listen, Ian. It's Elon. Elon. Uh, Sorry, bad line. Give me your number. I'll call you back when I'm home. I'm not giving you my number. Is there an airport near you? Salt Lake City is the nearest. Why? I'll fly in and meet you there tomorrow. Cantrell's not sure about this. Maybe this is some weird Russian Secret Service trap. He figures it's safest to meet this guy behind security. Okay, I'll rent a conference room near the Delta Lounge. The following day, Cantrell and Musk meet at the airport. Cantrell is barely seated before Musk launches into his plan. Humanity's survival long term depends on us becoming a multi planetary species. That means colonizing Mars. So I'm going to use my money to launch a space mission that will kickstart interest in a Mars mission. Um, okay. What's this mission? I want to send a colony of mice on a round trip to Mars. <clears throat> Sorry. Did you say mice? Yes. We'll beam back footage so everyone can watch the journey live. Cantrell stares at the South African tech millionaire, trying to work out if this is all some kind of joke. But Musk looks deadly serious. Um, Elon, mice don't live long. They'll die long before they reach Mars. Yes, but they'll breed on the way. The goal is to prove it's possible to get to Mars and come back alive. It would reduce fears about sending people to Mars... But I need Russian rockets to do it. They're the cheapest available. Cantrell pauses. He swore he'd never go back to Russia. But like Musk, Cantrell longs for a return to the bold breakthroughs of the Apollo era. And there's just enough logic in Musk's bizarre stunt to make him think space mice are worth a shot. Okay, Elon, I'm in. In the months that follow... Musk's space plan takes shape. Cantrell helps Musk initiate talks with the Russians about buying some old missiles. Musk also starts gathering top rocket scientists who help flesh out his plan. They convince him to ditch the mice and instead install a greenhouse on the red planet to better prove that life can survive on Mars. But those same experts also warn Musk that the $20 million he's set aside for his big stunt aren't enough. Going rate right for space cargo is tens of thousands of dollars per pound. Musk ignores them. He sees no justification for the sky-high price tag and insists his budget is more than sufficient. So, with Cantrell in tow, he heads to Moscow to seal the deal for his space rockets. It's February 2002. In a large conference room in Moscow, Elon Musk groans inside as another member of the Russian space agency rises to his feet. A shot of vodka at the ready. Musk and the rest of the room rise. It's time for yet another toast. The Russian grins and holds his shot in the air. To space rockets! To space space rockets. rockets! Everyone in the room knocks back their shots. Musk is about to sit when another of the Russians starts a new toast. To our meeting! To To our meeting! Musk slumps into his chair as the vodka scorches his throat. He's feeling woozy and irritable. He came here to strike a deal, but there's not much business going on. Today's meeting started at 11 a.m. with an early lunch. Then the vodka toast started, followed by coffee and more toasts. Now it's late afternoon and no one's even mentioned his rockets. Musk decides to get this show on the road. He turns to the Russian's lead negotiator. How much do you want for the rockets? Jim Cantrell sinks in his chair. It's a major faux pas. These toasts are about building trust, and Musk has just blown it. The lead negotiator stares coolly at Musk. He's used to dealing with national governments and major conglomerates, not multi-millionaire space dreamers. Eight million dollars per rocket. It's too much. Musk wants three rockets for his twenty million dollars. He leans forward. Four million. The lead negotiator sneers at the thirty-year-old millionaire. No way, little boy. Furious at the dismissive response musk leaps from his seat and turns to cantrell we're done here and then he stalks out of the room musk sits in silence all the way back to the airport russia makes the world's cheapest rockets and they're still too expensive his experts were right 20 million dollars isn't nearly enough to put a greenhouse on mars A few hours later, Jim Cantrell feels himself relax as their flight home clears Russian airspace. He flags down a passing stewardess. Can I get a scotch and soda? Of course, sir. Be right with you. Cantrell puts his seat back, ready to enjoy the trip home. But then he spots Musk. He's in the row ahead, hunched over his laptop and tapping away furiously. Cantrell rolls his eyes. Does this guy ever stop? The stewardess brings Cantrell's drink. Here you go. Thanks. But before Cantrell can touch his drink, Musk pokes his head over the seat. We don't need the Russians. What are you talking about, Elon? I've done the calculations. I can build a rocket for less than the Russians want. Look. Musk hands Cantrell his laptop. On the screen is a spreadsheet with a detailed part-by-part breakdown of the cost of building a rocket ship. Cantrell stares in disbelief. When he first met Musk, the guy knew nothing about rocket science. Now, he's constructing realistic estimates of rocket manufacturing costs. Musk leans in. They're only estimates, but it's totally possible, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a rocket-making company, undercut the competition, then use the proceeds to colonize Mars. In May of 2002, Musk founds SpaceX. He hires a crack team of space engineers and sets up shop in a large warehouse right by Los Angeles International Airport. Conveniently, several months later, eBay buys his old company PayPal for $1.5 billion dollars. Musk makes $180 million from the deal and immediately earmarks $100 million of that for SpaceX. He has the money. He has the expertise. He has the plan. All Musk needs now is a rocket. But he and the world are about to get a stark reminder about the harsh reality of space travel. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. February 1st, 2003. It's breakfast time at a diner in Lubbock, Texas, and folks gathering are looking up at the wall-mounted TV where there's breaking news on CNN. The Space Shuttle Columbia is coming home. Good morning, Texas. If you hear a boom-boom, mm-hmm. the Space Shuttle. It's, uh, yeah, okay, as they say, the out at Edwards Air Force Base, that's the sound of freedom. It's the sound of freedom. You got it. Sonic booms all across the country. Take a look outside. You should see what looks like a streaking meteor. It's actually the Space Shuttle Columbia coming back. The folks in the diner look up at the screen briefly. Everything seems normal. They dig back into their bacon and eggs, glancing up occasionally. But in the skies above and at NASA ground control, all is not well. Columbia's heat sensors have failed. FYI, I've just lost
1: four separate uh, temperature transducers on the left side of the vehicle.
0: It's a concern. But re entry is punishing and sensor malfunctions aren't unusual. We've also lost the uh, nose gear. Columbia is traveling at 23 times the speed of sound, slamming into the atmosphere fast enough to heat the air around it to 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Columbia's heat shield is the only thing protecting the seven astronauts aboard from the inferno outside, and it's damaged. Superheated air blasts through the shield and into the left wing, destabilizing the shuttle. Columbia, Houston, UHF comm check. There's no reply. The astronauts are dead, and burning pieces of shuttle are falling across two states. NASA grounds the space shuttle program immediately. Investigators conduct a probe into the disaster— that will find a culture of complacency at the space agency. It's a stark reminder of just how far NASA's fallen. The famed institution used to send people to the moon and was a point of national pride. But ever since the Cold War ended in 1991, politicians have been chipping away at NASA's image, painting it as a bloated agency wasting taxpayer dollars. Elon Musk, Sees it as his mission to use SpaceX to lift America out of its space funk. But he's not the only tech titan itching to rekindle the dreams of NASA's glory days. March 2003, Cathedral Mountain, West Texas. Jeff Bezos stands at the base of the Red Rock Mountain and gazes through his dark sunglasses. In front of him are miles and miles of flat land growing little more than scrub brush and cacti, a parched landscape of desolation and canyons. Bezos turns to the cowboy who brought him out here and smiles. This place is perfect. Bezos is the founder of Amazon. The online store has barely turned to profit, but its stock price is still stratospheric, making Bezos one of the richest men on earth. His net worth is $5 billion. Not that the cowboy showing him around the Texas backcountry cares. He's more worried about the wind gently rocking the trees. Mr. Bezos, the wind's picking up. Conditions here change mighty fast. We need to go. Bezos nods, but doesn't move. He's too busy picturing what this place will become. The rocket test site of Blue Origin his top-secret space company. Bezos founded Blue Origin in 2000. Since then, he's spent three years thinking deeply about how best to reach space. The company considered laser power, giant catapults, and even space elevators before concluding that rocket fuel is still the best option. Now, the Amazon founder is ready for the next step. The cowboy tries again. Sir, we really have to leave now. Okay. Bezos turns and marches to the waiting helicopter. The pilot switches on the engines and the blades start spinning. Bezos and the cowboy strap themselves into their seats. Bezos looks across the chopper at his executive assistant. I want this place, Elizabeth. I'll make it happen. The helicopter rises unsteadily into the air. The high altitude, hot weather, and rising winds are a dangerous combination. The air is now too thin for the helicopter to climb. The chopper lurches forward as the pilot struggles to gain altitude, but they're heading toward the trees fast. Oh, The helicopter belly flops onto the ground and bounces. The rotor blades rip into the soil, smashing apart as the cabin tumbles down the mountainside. Bezos's world goes into slow motion. He thinks, what a silly way to die. Then, the helicopter slams to a stop and his face smacks into the dashboard. Bezos clutches his face and then feels the water gushing in through the broken windows. The helicopter has landed in a creek. Bezos looks around. The cowboy is unfastening his seatbelt, but Elizabeth is nowhere to be seen. Elizabeth! Elizabeth! A hand rises from beneath the water. Bezos and the cowboy spring into action, battling to keep Elizabeth's head above the waterline and unbuckle her from the seat. They get her free and scramble out of the chopper and onto the banks of the creek where the pilot is wiping blood from his face. The four look at the wreckage. They're injured and soaked, but alive. The pilot can't believe their luck. You know, if we didn't crash into that creek, the fuel tank would have exploded. We'd all be dead right now. Bezos checks his cell phone. No signal. He lies on his back and turns to the cowboy. You were right. We should have done this on horseback. (laughs) As Bezos dissolves into manic laughter, the cowboy stares in disbelief. He's had enough. There's a ranch several miles that way. I'm going to go get help. Bezos' quest for galactic stardom is off to a bad start. But he's not giving up. This land will be his. He will reach the stars. But while he and Musk are stargazing, another billionaire is entering the race. And he's got something they don't. An actual spaceship spaceship. On the next episode, Richard Branson joins the space race, Elon Musk battles NASA, and Blue Origin gets arachnophobia. From Wondery, this is episode one of SpaceX vs. Blue Origin for Business Wars. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, spotify the wondery app or wherever you're listening right now and to listen to episodes one week early join wondery plus you'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey and tell us which business stories you like to hear quick note about recreations you've been hearing in most cases we can't know exactly what was said those scenes are dramatizations but they are based on historical research if you'd like to learn more about elon musk check out the book elon musk by ashley vance i'm your host david brown tristan donovan wrote this story karen lowe is our senior producer and editor edited and produced by emily frost sound design by kyle randall Kate Young is our associate producer. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondery.
1: Hi, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich. So, I want you to imagine... You're about to go on stage and perform in front of 30,000 cheering fans. You pop a cough drop, take some deep breaths, tell yourself, you can do this. And that's when your brother steps into your dressing room. He tells you the police are here. Either you clean up your act or you'll get arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you just laugh and say, good. Because the you in this story is Madonna. Madonna you're going to give the police a moment they'll never forget. Ooh, so what happens next? If you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the newest season of Even the Rich, The Making of Madonna. Follow on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.